I let on a little bit this morning before we prayed for the Nicaragua team uh, that there's been some struggles we've went through. There's been some individual issues uh, that each person's had, that Satan's worked on each person uh, seemingly within our team as an individual. Um, he didn't attack the group as a whole. I, I don't think he felt he could pull that along. Uh, but I think he felt that if he pulled on each individual thread or string, that maybe if he pulled on enough of them that we'd come unraveled. Um, thank Jesus we haven't. Um, we've been to, you know, we're getting ready to prepare and we're stronger than ever. I mean, the team that's getting ready to go is, is fired up, and I'm really excited about that. Um, I tell you that because not too long ago, maybe two or three weeks ago in Sunday school, our Sunday school lesson uh, was about Joseph. It was about Joseph being sold into slavery. Um, there's been a couple of sermons I've listened to in the past couple of weeks. God's just kind of lined things up um, that have helped me read and understand and learn to appreciate the struggles uh, rather than be upset about what's going on. Um, you know, we're not, we're not always prepared. We don't always see the struggles coming. Uh, we don't always know what to do when they get there. And even sometimes, depending on what the result of those struggles are, we don't see the end either. But the, the verses we're going to go over today... And I promise don't freak out when I read. I'm reading a lot more than we're actually going to go over. Um, I actually wrote out notes for everything and then realized that I'm not allowed to preach until 9 o'clock. So um, <laughs> ask Mackenzie. I'm long-winded, right? She was at the last meeting and Brent told her it was going to take 10 minutes and it took an hour and a half. Um, but I'll go ahead and I want to read the, the verses that we're going to go over first. Then we'll go back and tear them apart piece by piece. Um, and then we'll kind of see not only what it means there, but, but what we need to take from it and how we can apply that today. Um, so the verses we're going to be in, we're going to be in Genesis 37. I'm going to be reading 12 through 36. Um, we're really going to be only going over 12 through 28. It says here, it says, make sure I read the English version. His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Then Israel said to him, Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. A man found him there, wandering in the field, and asked him, What are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers had found them at Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben, when Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, Let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, Don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him intending to rescue him from their hands and return him to their father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. They looked up, and there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a young goat, and dipped the robe in blood. 
They sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, We found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. This is the word of God. I want to pray before we start. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that it teaches us. We thank you for the glimpse back into the Old Testament, back into the New Testament. Father, we thank you for this living word that allows us to see how you lived, how you've worked throughout eternity, Father, and throughout history to point us to you and point us to eternity. Father God, I just ask that as we read, this, as we read these verses tonight, Father, may your word speak to us, Father. May we convict us, and Father, may we take what we learn outside of these doors. Father, I ask this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start off, um, be four points on here. We're going to start off with what it's like to live carefree, what it's like to live a life and not know about the troubles. There's times where we live life where none of us wake up every morning and say, man, I hope something goes wrong today. So, you know, most of us go throughout the day, most of us live life not expecting to have problems happen. We're going to talk what it's like about living, what it's like to live life injured and beaten, what it's like to go through the struggles, to be in the midst of them. We're going to talk about what it's like to see the result. What it's like to live life truly free after knowing how God worked and used you. And then finally we'll cover up and we'll end with how, what does that mean for us? What, does, what do these verses in their Old Testament time frame there mean for us now? So let's start. In Genesis 13, where right we started, it talked about, you know, right there at the bottom, I'm ready, Joseph replied. This is eagerness. We see Joseph eager to follow, his, follow what his father asked him to do. I mean, I, I ask you youth, and you don't have to answer this if your parents are in the room, but how many times have your parents asked you to do something when you've just jumped up and, yes, I'll go do it. Man, I can't wait to take out the trash or wash the dishes. Joseph was eager to please his father. He was eager to go do what his father asked him to do. He's the most, you know, we learn as we read through, obviously, and if we've read prior to this, we know that Joseph is... Pretty much the most beloved one of his father. Okay, He's the beloved son. So it makes sense that the most loved son would be eager to, to do this. There's nothing that he has against his father. Um, let's see. Losing my place already. There was no talking back. Okay, um, I won't pick on anybody in particular. Um, when, you're, when you're asked to do something, how often do we talk back? And I'm not just talking about youth. I'm talking about when you're at work or you're at home with your family. And somebody asks us to do something, how often do we joyfully just go and do it? Whether that be our wife, our brother, our sister, our boss, our parents. We don't see that very often. But here he was, eager to go. There was no talking back. He just went. We all go, we go down and we continue down there. We see verse 17. When he goes to where his father had sent him to try to find his brother shepherding the flock, he finds out they're not there. But he was willing to go above and beyond. He doesn't go back to his parents. He doesn't go back to his father and say, I'm sorry they weren't there. I'm going to go lay underneath this tree now and take a nap. He goes on. He continues on. What I'm reading here, I think based on what I've read, I mean, he went an extra 13 miles. And that may not sound like a lot now that we have cars, but he was probably walking. 
So any of you guys that have ridden your bikes from Tunnel Hill down to Vienna, that, that hurts and you're on a bike. Think of walking that distance joyfully because you're trying to do what your father asked you to do. We're talking about, you know, this is, this is a math major here, so I'm sorry I deal with numbers. Probably walking, probably took him probably about four hours to get this extra 13 miles, okay? That's a long time of walking. I mean, we're talking Old Testament. We're not talking in America. We're not talking Antarctica or on the coast with nice, cool weather. We're talking over in the, you know, in the east where it's hot, humid, okay? It's, that's a long walk to go. How many of us would take that on? How many of us would go the extra mile to do what our Father asked us to do? Now, one thing, as I said, the first point we need to see here is as he's walking, he's not thinking in his head, man, I wonder if they're going to throw me in a pit today. I wonder how my life is going to change. He's simply doing what his father asked. He's going to check on his brothers. And he has all intentions of coming back and reporting to his father, this is the information that you wanted. He has no clue what's about to happen. He has no idea that his life is about to change forever in the forthcoming foreseeable future. He has no idea that God's about to use him not only to change his future, but the future of hundreds and thousands of people in the future. But in order to get there, it's going to be a rough ride. How many times have, have we entered into a struggle and wondered why? How many of us can honestly say that the greatest things we have in life have been easy to attain? That when we're used in a situation, when we're in a struggle, the hardest fought battles normally feel the best sometimes at the end when we're victorious. But you can never look back and say it was fun going through the battle. You come out with scars. He didn't know what he was getting into, but God knew. God knew exactly where he was heading. God knew exactly what was about to happen and how he was going to use it. See, in Genesis 18, Solomon a distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. Why does brothers hate him? They hated him because he was loved more. He, they thought he was loved more by their father than he was. You know, they, they hated him because he had dreams about them, talking about how they were going to bow down to him. It was hatred. You know, how many of us feel that way at times? I'll be open and honest with you. There's numerous times where I felt that way about my brother. I live four hours away. I'm the older brother. But I cannot, in all honesty, tell you that there have never been times where I've looked at what my brother have, has and not said, why me? Why does he get to do this with my parents? Why are my parents doing this? I remember growing up and thinking the same thing. I, I, never, I, don't, I can't honestly tell you I got to the point of hating my brother. But there were things I was jealous of. And I would... I would this isn't written in the text. These are my words. But I would garner to say that they were just straight jealous. They were jealous that Joseph was getting preferential treatment, or so they thought. He was loved more. He didn't have to do the chores. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to do that. Father's giving him these robes that are pretty and covered in colors, and we're stuck out here in the fields. The problem is, is this hatred in their heart boiled up to a plan to kill their brother. Don't let sin sit in your heart. Don't let sin get to a point where it leads to something greater. 
I promise you, if you, you know, you've heard that, heard the Bible talk about don't go to bed angry. Don't, I'm, don't go a step further. Just don't be angry. It's hard not to, but don't let hatred fill you to a point where it pushes you to that next level. Where it blinds you from what God wants you to do. Now one thing that we can see, and I saw as I read through this, start looking at the parallel between Joseph and our Savior in the New Testament. Somebody beloved by his father. Somebody hated by his peers. Hated by the people around him. For what? Because he was different? Because he loved people differently than they did. They lo he loved people that they felt unlovable. We start to see these things. We start to see the plots devised in secret to kill Joseph. Just like we start to see the plots in secret by the Pharisees to kill Jesus. Plotted to kill because they hated him because he was loved. Or in Jesus' case, because he loved. Now think about this when we look farther. We know the end. Okay? Joseph didn't know this, but we know where it happens. We know the end result here. So this, this concept of we're going to kill Joseph, and we're going to be rid of him, and we're going to get rid of these plans. His brothers had no idea what they were about to do was going to set in motion part of those dreams that he had had. We get to verse 20. It says, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Not only did they went as far as to kill him or to plot to kill him, now they're going the extra step. We're going to figure out how we're going to cover it up. How many times have we done something where one sin leads to another? Just that little white lie. It'll be all right. Nobody will know. And then it turns into a bigger lie and a bigger lie. And then when you're found out, you're mad at the people that found you out and you start to hate them because they turned you in. So not only are they going and already plotting to kill him, but now they're making up the, we're already going to make up the alibi. How can we say this isn't our fault? Once again, they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about how can we get out of it? Not only do we want to kill him, but how can we help ourselves in the process? Now something odd happens at this point in time. We see the oldest brother, Reuben, kind of step up. Um, as the oldest brother, it was his duty to protect the younger brothers. And he steps up and it's like, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. There's a problem with that. You see, even though Reuben stepped up and tried to do his brotherly duty of protecting the younger brother, he was trying to please both sides. How can I appease my brothers and let them do something to him, but yet not kill my brother and protect him? So rather than do the right thing, he simply decided that I'm going to do something that I'm going to try to please over everybody. That doesn't work. It doesn't work here and it doesn't work in real life. The gospel's harsh. Sometimes it hurts. Not only does it hurt those that are lost, but it hurts Christians sometimes when we hear it too. When it convicts us of something we're doing wrong. We need to be strong enough to step up and do the right thing. Even if that means we're not going to please everybody that's around us. But God was still in control. God knew what was going to happen. God was taking care of it. We look at 23. The first thing they did was they ripped off the clothes, the 
the, the robe of many colors. Why? What's so important about it? Why, why do I do this? Well, it's not a big thing, but it's, it's almost like their, their aspect of this coat symbolized how much their father loved him. We're going to put this cloak on him because I love him. So what's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to take the cloak off and try to remove our father's love from him. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see, the symbol, I don't want to see what, what symbolizes our father's great love for him. So we're going to strip this off and we're going to throw him in the pit. The awesome part about this is remembering that no matter how they may have been able to take the robe off of Joseph and take away the, the sight of their father's love, you and I serve a father that nobody can take his love away from us. Nobody here on this earth can take anything from us that will take away any amount of our father's love. Not in the middle of a struggle, not in our highest high or our lowest low. God loves you for who you are. He loves you the way he made you and the way he asked you to live. And nobody here can take that from you. Just like here, even though they thought they could take that symbol away, they still couldn't take God's love away from you. Think about again, what happened to Jesus after he was flogged and before he got put on the, before he got put on the cross? We see him stripped. We see his clothes taken from him. We see him taken to the cross. We get to 24. It says they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. I didn't think much of this verse at first, and I started reading through the commentary, and you see that, that phrase, there was no water in it. It seems kind of out of place. Nothing in Scripture is out of place. Everything in Scripture is there for a reason. Water symbolizes life. They, were, they threw him into a pit that had no hope of life. There was nothing there that was going to sustain it. Took water away. He wasn't going to drink. You can go an awful long time without food. You ain't going to go very long without water. Nothing was going to grow in the pit, including his life. But despite the fact that there was no earthly water in the pit, God still loved him. God was still in control. Even though at this point in the story, almost at the lowest low, he's sitting in the bottom of a death pit. And God was about to place him in the hands of somebody that was going to take him where he was going to rise to power and save thousands of people. We get to 25, the next verse, and you start to actually see exactly how much disregard they had for Joseph's life. Because you see, after they threw him in the pit, they decided to eat a meal. I mean, that'd be the... A, a, less, a lesser version of that would be like if I took Trey and locked him in a closet upstairs during Sunday school and then just left him there and we went ahead and had Sunday school. But think about it. He's down there in this pit with no water, no food, no nothing. And they feel the need that they're just going to sit down and have a nice meal. We go on and we read in Genesis 42:21 that Joseph pleaded with them while he was in this pit. Okay, this isn't that they threw him in the pit and he was just silent and quiet and they didn't have to hear about it. He pleaded, he begged, he didn't want to be there. And they still just sat there and ate. They just had a meal like if nothing was wrong. As if they'd just been pasturing the flocks all day and Joseph had never came in the beginning. They just sat down and had a meal. No problem. 26. Then Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? If killing him wasn't enough. Then they started thinking to themselves, 
exactly how is this going to actually how is this going to help us? We're going to kill him, and yeah, he's out of our life, and our, our father is not going to love him anymore. But what can we actually gain from this? If he's dead, he's dead. We've still got to do the work. So then we go above and beyond. Let's sell him. Let's get something for this. So once again, it's about us. It's about the brothers. It's about let me see what I can get from what I'm about to do. Because if I leave him in a pit and I die and we go back to my father, then I'm just going to be able to tell him. We're just going to have to tell him that he's dead. We didn't actually get anything out of it. So they started and decided we're going to sell him. We're going to get something in return for doing this to our brother. Once again, as I said to begin with, we see them trying to get rid of Joseph's dreams. Maybe if we sell him and get him out of our lives, certainly it won't come true. If he's out of our lives and he's gone, how can we possibly bow down to him at some point in the future? Let's do something to remove this dream of us having to someday serve our brother. And once again, they didn't realize by selling him into slavery that they were starting to fulfill the dream. It's amazing how blind we become with sin, isn't it? It's amazing how blind we become when we're so consumed with ourselves and what makes us happy and what helps us, what can make us better, that we can completely ignore any thought or process of God being in control and what he's doing. In 27, you start to see, you know, the funny thing about all this, I forgot to mention this, you look at 26, look who said let's sell him. Judah says, let's sell him. Let's not kill him, let's sell him. So the tribe that our Savior comes from is the one that keeps him from dying. Now I guarantee you that Judah wasn't thinking, let me save him because I want to keep him alive. He was still trying to get something out of it. But... I love how you see that the tribe of Judah, the one that our Savior comes from, is the one that saves Joseph's life, even if it is indirectly by what he does. But you can start to see God's plan. Because when you look at Psalms 105.17, you see he had sent a man ahead of him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. So you see the fact that it's written that he was, we know that's where he was headed. We see that. He doesn't. Point number two. Living life struggles. Living beaten down and bruised and beaten. How much hope do you think he had sitting at the bottom of a pit with no food and no water, listening to his brothers ignore his cries? How much hope could he have had? I don't think, and this is purely speculation, but I highly doubt he thought in his head, it's okay, God's just fulfilling those dreams I had. How often do we, in the midst of our struggles, how often can we look through and see him working? How hard is it when we break our arm and we can't go to Nicaragua? How hard is it when we put our heart into something and we don't get it? What about when you fought, your, fought and fought and fought just to be knocked down another peg, whether that be in a job or in life? How hard is it to look past when we lose a loved one? When we get the phone call that says the doctor's telling us, I'm sorry, but it's terminal. I'm sorry, but you're just not, you're just not going to, you don't have that much longer. How hard is it to see God working in that? 
How dark of a situation can we seem? But again, God's in control. Remember, God loves you. God never left you. God's right there with you through it all. We look at 27, and it talks about, you almost think in verse 27 that it seems like, you know, come, let's, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. Sound familiar? Pilate washing his hands. Blood's not on my hands, you take it. Let's give him to somebody else, because he's our brother. We don't really want to kill him. Now, it doesn't matter what happened to him after we, after we give him away. But we're not guilty of it. We didn't kill him. Passing the guilt off, right? Passing the bar. Passing the buck. And in verse 28, we see him finally sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Betrayed by his brothers for 20 pieces of silver. Just like our Savior was betrayed for 20 pieces of silver. Now, at this point when it cuts off, Joseph doesn't know this. But if we were to read on and we were to read and further examine it, we know what happens in the future. We know that even though he's going through this struggle and he's been beaten down, that he's going to get out, that God's going to use it. But you see, it's not lost. You think back to Mark 4.38, or you think forward in this case since we're in Genesis. Jesus telling his disciples when they're in the middle of the storm in the boat, you have little faith. Let us keep the faith. Even in the midst of the storm, when it seems all is lost, keep the faith. In Acts 7-9, we read that the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Comma. But God was with him. Even in the midst of being sold, God hadn't left him. He wasn't alone. Those of us, like I said, that know the end of the story, know that Joseph came through more trials before it was fulfilled. Okay? Joseph didn't get to Egypt and God suddenly put him in a position of power and said everything's better. Joseph went to Egypt, got put in a position of power, and then he got thrown into prison. And then it took interpreting dreams to come to the position of power that he was in. Now, living with the result, Joseph got to that point where he saw why he was where he was at. He saw the drought come. He saw the famine come. He understood why he was where he was. And despite all this, he had the ability to give grace to his brothers when they came back. When you go through a struggle... And that struggle is a result of somebody else or something somebody did. You're still called to forgive them. God doesn't give you a free pass when somebody hurts you to hurt them back. And I promise you in this situation, Joseph had every ability to do that. In his position of power, he had every ability to either throw them into prison, to not give them food and let them die. He had the ability and the power to hurt them. But he chose grace. And he chose forgiveness. Just as God showed grace and mercy in bringing him out of that slavery position to put him where he was at. So what does this mean for us? What can an old story in the Old Testament 
about some poor kid sold into slavery by his brothers possibly mean for us? The first spot is this, and it's not really a main point. But the fact is, is very, very seldom, I don't know too many Christians that are going to tell you they've only had one big issue in their life. Not too many Christians are going to look at you and say, man, I just went through that one trial. Boy, it was a doozy, but it's been great since then. We normally face multiple trials. And those of us that read past even Joseph saving those Israelites know that they're about to get placed into slavery just like he was. And it's going to take an awful long time for Moses and Aaron to come along to lead them out. This wasn't the end of their struggles. And neither was being let out of Egypt. But God is in control. Second, we're going to have to understand from our perspective, we're not always going to see the end result. Joseph got to see these things fulfilled. Joseph watched God bring him through slavery, placed in jail, placed back into power and saving these people. But I'm sure there's people out here in this uh, church today that can look you in the eye and say that they've went through a struggle and they have yet to figure out exactly why God did it. I'm sure you've, you've lost a loved one and maybe you're still trying to come to terms with exactly why God took that person out of your life at the time they did. Or why you were hurt by this person in the past. Confused and still wondering why. But I simply point to this. God was with Joseph. God was with Moses. God was with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. God himself was even with Cain after he committed murder to keep other people from hurting him. And if God is willing to walk with those people and protect them through their struggles and through what they're going through, God will be with you. We must have faith. And I'll end on this. We've got to understand that we can trust Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, you see Joseph suffered and then was used to save the Israelites. And your Savior came down here and suffered greatly more to save you. Not because you deserved it. Not because you did great things. Because he loved you. He was willing to give up his throne to come down here for a short amount of time and suffer a horrible death for you. A man that's willing to do that for you can be trusted. And he can be trusted with your life. We don't need to fear these things anymore. Whatever this earth throws at you, scream back in your loudest voice that you've been bought by the blood of Christ and nothing here can hurt you. You see, if you've accepted Christ, you know that. But if there's somebody out here today that hasn't, if there's somebody out here today that is going through one of those struggles, that is crying out nightly, why me? What can I do to get out of this? I offer up to you 
our Savior, Jesus Christ. Accept Him. Trust Him. Believe in Him. Let Him pull you out of the depths of the pit. Let Him wash away your wounds and protect you. You see, even though Joseph went through struggles as we do, God never left him. And as we go through struggles, let us just keep in mind, God is in control, and God loves you. Let us pray. Father God, we're thankful that in the midst of struggles, in the midst of hurt and pain, Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for taking our place place on the cross, Father, so that no matter what we're beaten with, no matter what we're hurt by here on this earth, Father, that it cannot take away from us your love or our eternal life that we have in you. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you do. May all glory, praise, and honor be to you. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen.